But today I'm going to be talking about prayer, and prayer is simply conversation with God. It's talking with God. It's fellowship with him. It's the whole reason why Christ died, so that we can have forgiveness, that we can come back into relationship with God. And prayer is talking with him. It's simple, and yet it's not simplistic, right? He says he's bringing a people who were dead to him, a humanity that was dead to him, that did not want him, that did not believe in him, that we were completely disconnected from him, and now in great love he brings us into his presence. And so it's not like all of a sudden this relationship could start happening and we could start talking. It's complicated. We have so much baggage, right? What I think about is like when uh, I worked with junior hires, we would get the boys and the girls, they'd always be in separate parts of the room, and then uh, just sometimes just to want to torture them, right? You'd put the boys and the girls together, right? And and especially if a boy and a girl were one-on-one, and they had to talk, and they're junior high. Yeah. That's sometimes how prayer feels like, right? It's like, I kind of want to talk to you and get to know you, but I'm also scared of you, right? Oh, 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 right? We don't even know how to talk. We don't, it's so uncomfortable. And so prayer is complicated. There's so many questions we have. There's so many beliefs about God, false beliefs that we had about him, what he's like, what we need to be like. And so when it comes to talking with him, praying to him, it gets complicated. There's so many questions surrounding prayer. And so that's why, um, actually, I started uh, going through this book. It's called The Praying Life. It's by Paul Miller, and some of you have already read it. I encourage you to read it. And uh, I've started another uh, Sunday school class. We meet at 9 o'clock in the morning in the hospitality room, and we're just kind of going through this book. This will be the second time I've gone through it. First time was during, uh, was on Zoom. It was from February to April, a little bit into May. And uh, we just read this book. This book, all right, I highly recommend it. When I first came back to ministry in 2010, Ian Nagata uh, shared with me, and he said, this is the best book on prayer I have ever read. It's really practical. I encourage you to read it. And um, I didn't read it. And uh, I finally read it about like three years ago, fully cover to cover. And I was like, this is an excellent book. I believe this book gives a clear way forward in a very uh, inviting and warm way, all right, of uh, helping us begin and nurturing to help us to begin and to continue a nur- and nurture a real and working relationship with the Father. A real and working relationship with the Father. Right. And so I really encourage you to read it. Uh, we went over chapters three to five this morning, and we'll go over chapters six through eight next week. Go on Amazon. If you have Prime, it'll come the next day, you know, and join us. Read it. Um, we discuss it, and uh, again, I just really encourage you to come out. But this morning, I just want to challenge you and encourage you from a passage of Scripture that I read it on March 22nd. Okay? And the reason why I remember that I, I read it on March 22nd is because uh, the college group, 
Um, those who want to join us in the college group, we read the Bible together each day, okay? And uh, we were going through Mark, and on that day, I read Mark 11. And in March was like the one year, kind of like one year anniversary of our lockdown, right? And so as I was sitting there reading, I don't know if it happened in March 22nd, but if that's when it started last year, but I was like, this has been one year. And as I read this passage, I just felt like the Lord convicting me, challenging me, exhorting me as we begin to come out of this time. And so this morning, what I just simply want to do is I just want to bring to you this same exhortation that I believe that he was speaking to me on March 22nd. And it's summarized in three words, the title of the sermon, Believe, Ask, and Forgive. Believe, ask, and forgive. Right. So let, let me pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great love and forgiveness in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your pursuit of us, for your undying love that you see us as we are and you still gave your son, Jesus, you still gave your life for us. And we are yours. You ask us to believe that we are yours, that you welcome us back. You give us new life. And you invite us now to be in relationship with you. Lord, move us. Holy Spirit, move us to believe. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, let's stand. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. You can open your Bibles there. I'm going to start with verse 20 to 25. It says, As they passed by in the morning, the they are the disciples in Jesus, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that the Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. You could be seated. The first word of exhortation I just want to bring to you from this passage is to believe, to believe. You know, when you look at Jesus' ministry, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and you read uh, what Jesus was teaching and what he was emphasizing, he was continually calling people who professed belief in God to truly believe. 
He was calling people who professed to believe in God to truly believe. He was coming to the very people whom God created and called from Abraham, the very people whom he revealed his law to, that he loved and he cared for. He was coming to these very people and he was asking them to believe. If you have a Bible program, like a Logos or Luridian or any kind, just type in faith, right? And uh, look in your New Testament and start to read. Or if you have a concordance, you're old school. You're Dave Casebeer and you have a concordance. Where's Dave? There's Dave. <laughs> you know, look up faith in this concordance and go to the Old Testament. All right? You go, if you think I'm picking on Dave, I love Dave. So Dave, not that many. Um, You'll see, start reading every time Jesus talks about faith or belief, because uh, in John, Gospel of John, he uses believe instead of faith. He is continually calling the people of God to believe in God. Not believe that he exists, but to believe in whom, uh, how he has revealed himself, who he is. In Matthew 8, in Matthew 8, this is where Jesus uh, enters into Capernaum, and there is a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. He's a captain of a hundred soldiers or more. That's why he's called a centurion. And uh, his servant is paralyzed. He's, death, he's uh, ill, but he's paralyzed. Something happened. Maybe there was an accident, but this servant was very valuable to the centurion. And so he sends word to Jesus, says, come. My servant is paralyzed. Please heal him. And so Jesus goes, and before he even gets there, the centurion sends servants and goes, don't even come into my house. I'm not worthy for you to even come into my house. Just say the word. Say, be healed, and my servant's gonna be healed. And this is what Jesus says. In Matthew 8, verse 10, Jesus says this. When Jesus heard this, says he marveled he marveled. In my mind right now, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what that word is, because later on in the message, I'm gonna talk about that word marveled, but I just realized I did not look it up here. I bet you it's the same marveled that I'm gonna talk about later. And if it's not, I'll write a blog about it. But let's just say that I think it is the same word, all right? But he marveled. He was in awe. I'm gonna talk about this later. Remember this point, okay? He marveled. He's in awe of this. And he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, listen to what Jesus says, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. The very people of God, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, Many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of, the, of his people. And they're gonna come from the east and the west, not from the nation of Israel, and in the kingdom of heaven, they're gonna come while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and in that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a tragedy, huh? That the very people... Who, was, who were God's people, did not have faith. Again, not faith that God existed, 
but that faith in who God was, what he was like, that he was real, that he loved them, that he had a plan. If Jesus were to come and preach from this pulpit, you know what he'd preach about? Do you believe in me? Right? That's what he would preach. And that's what we see throughout the Gospels. Believe in me. Truly believe. He does that throughout his whole life. The three-year ministry. And now, in Mark chapter 11, he continues that. This is the week before he is crucified. It's a Tuesday. And I'm just going to give you a really quick background on what was happening in this passage. All right? This is, he's going to be crucified on Friday. This is last week there. He's in Jerusalem. He's actually staying in a city called Bethany right outside of Jerusalem. And every morning, he would get up with his disciples. They would walk into Jerusalem He would go into the temple, he would teach, and then he would leave in the evening. On Sunday, it was Palm Sunday, and it was his grand entrance. He came in, he went into the temple, and it says he looked around, in Mark, if you read Mark, he looked around at everything. Everything, it says. And all I can imagine is that he knows he's going there to die for the very people who would reject them, reject him, so that he might bring them back. And not just them, but the whole world. And so he walks through the whole temple. It says everything he looked at. And all I could think is he's probably just praying. He's praying. He knows what's ahead. The next day is uh, Monday, and it says as he's going in, he sees a fig tree. And the fig tree in Mark chapter um, I'm kind of like not looking at my notes, so I don't know where I am. But it's Mark chapter, uh, it's Mark verse 13 or 14. And, um, okay, time out, I'm lost. Yeah, it's verse 13. He says he sees the fig tree, and uh, it says it's in leaf. It's in full leaf. And it says that he looks at it and he's hungry. And so he goes to check to see if there's a fig there. And this is where you see the humanity of Jesus, right? He's God and he's mad. You would think he's God. And so he looks at the fig tree and he goes, there's no figs on there. (laughs) But this is the humanity of Jesus coming through. He looks, he's hungry. He sees the fig tree fully. If he goes, there's nothing there. And then in verse 14, Mark writes this. And he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then Mark writes, and his disciples heard it. In Matthew, he records, Matthew records the same event. And it says, when Jesus says that, it says the fig tree begins to wither. Anyway, that Monday, he goes into Jerusalem. And that's when he cleanses the temple. He kicks out everyone there who's there for commercial reasons, looking for a prophet. And says, my father's house is to be a house of prayer, not commerce. It is a den of robbers here. And then he leaves. And then in verse 20, this is where we pick it up. Okay, so uh, is it on the screen, verse 20? Verses 20 and 21. He says this. Again, he had cursed the fig tree. He had gone in. They had left. That was Monday. Now Tuesday they come back. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Withered away to its, like, like a dry, dead thing 
all the way to its roots. It is completely dead. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Now I want you to get the full effect of what's happening here. In Matthew, Matthew's account, in Matthew 21, he writes that when the disciples saw the fig tree, they marveled. They marveled. Right? Uh, NIV says amazed. Jesus used this same word, marveled. I bet you he used it when Jesus, in, in, in the other one, but I didn't look that one up. And so I'm hitting myself. <laughs> All right? But Jesus um, used, but Matthew uses this word marveled also to describe his disciples. All right? When Jesus calms the storm. Let me read it to you. Matthew 8, verses 25 to 27. This is when they're on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. A huge storm is happening, right? And it's not just a little rocky storm. The disciples actually think they're going to die. And I don't know, amazingly, Jesus is sleeping. And so in verse 25, it says, They went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, he first wakes up, and he's all wet. He says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Right? Of you of little faith. And then it says, then he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm, and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, when Matthew says that they marveled, what do you think is happening at that point? Imagine this. You're on the Sea of Galilee. It's crazy winds. You think you're going to die. You wake up Jesus, and Jesus wakes up. He says, why do you have little faith? And it says he rebukes the wind and the wave. I don't know how he did it, right? I don't know if he just said, stop it, right? Or if he said, be calm, but whatever he does, it says that it became calm. It was a great calm that came upon the sea. So what I'm imagining is like, we're dying. Do something. He wakes up. He's like walking. Oh, you of little faith. Wind stop. Boom. Cricket, cricket, cricket. If that happened, right, what are you thinking who is this guy? Who is this? Who calms nature? Who, who commands nature? Yes, you, raising your hand. Jesus does. God does that. God commands nature. And so there is this moment of complete awe, marveling, wonder. We're in the presence of God. And so that's what's happening also on the way to Jerusalem. They see this tree, it's withered. And I want you to understand, trees in Israel grew as tall as 20 feet. They were big. All right? I'm five foot six or however tall you are. Go walk out to some of the trees in the parking lot 
And imagine how big this fig tree is. And it says it was in leaf, and so it's big. And so when it says that Jesus goes up to it, and they didn't understand the symbolism here, okay? The, the disciples, I don't think they, they get that this is symbolic of God's judgment on Israel, his final decision, they're going to reject him, and that now instead of the gospel, uh, the, the original plan of the nation, of, uh, anyway, he's, not gonna, he's gonna be going not just to Israel, but to the world. They don't see that. All they're seeing is that this tree that was huge and full bloom, when they walk by it, now it is crushed. It is dried up, and it looks like it has been dead for decades. And when they see this, they know that they have come in the presence of a supernatural man, the God-man. Something otherworldly has happened. How could this have happened? And this is where Jesus takes this opportunity to call them yet again to believe. Believe that I moving. I am God. I am moving. I have power to make change in this world. I have power to affect your life, and not just your life, but this world. He takes this opportunity when they're marveling, when they're like, oh my goodness, what happened here? He takes this opportunity to say, believe. Let me read verses 22 to 23 again. It says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. This is what frames everything else he's gonna say. Believe. Believe everything I've been telling you. I'm gonna die in four days. Believe that I am the son of God, that I love you, that the Father loves you, and that I wanna walk with you, that there's forgiveness in me. Believe. And he says, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, he might be pointing on the mountain, they're, correct, they're on Jerusalem, the temple, or he could be pointing at Mount Olivet, Olives. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Believe. Believe I'm, I'm real, I move I'm interactive, I'm, I'm living, believe in me. It says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Right? Jesus is saying, truly believe in the Father that he's been revealing, that I have been revealing to you. Believe in who he is and in his ways. Yeah. Trust that the Father loves you, Jesus is saying. How I love you, He's, Jesus is telling his disciples, believe that the Father loves you, that's I. The power that you see coming from me, that I do, believe that that power is real and available. This past year has been hard. And so when I read this on May 22nd, 
I just felt like God asking me the same thing. Do you still believe in who I say I am and what I'm doing? Do you believe that? Do you still believe that I'm working in this world and that I've called my church to bring my message of the good news to this world, to the people here and La Puente and beyond? And that my arms are open wide to anyone who would come back to me and I will come and forgive them and I will enter into their life and I will bring hope, love. Do we believe that? This past year, my goodness, the election year, the lockdown, being isolated from people, being at home and maybe at home, your life being very difficult, maybe more arguments, brewing, more disappointment in the midst of all that we have come out of. Do you believe? And I just felt like he's saying to us, believe me. Believe, trust me. I'm moving. He's inviting us to believe. I know over this past year, some of you have lost your job, or for some of you, your job has drastically changed. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe plans that you had, especially if you're in college, they've been delayed. Maybe some have been changed. Maybe some have been completely lost at this moment. But God is not done. Amen? He is not done. It may feel like it's done, but he's saying, believe in me. And so I just want to take this opportunity right now. I want us to pray, all right? And you might be here alone, or if you're here with a friend or, a fam- or with your family, I want us to pray. And if there's someone, like in the family right now, if you want to pray, I want you to pray for hope for each other, that you would begin to believe again. You might think, well, I already believe. Well, just pray for more belief then. And if you're next to your spouse, because sometimes what we do, we don't pray for each other. I want you to pray for your spouse. I want you to say, Lord, my pastor Kathy, Lord, this this year's been hard. I pray that you'd restore belief, hope in you. You might think, I don't want that prayer. Well, do it. And so let's do that. And so we're going to play a little bit of background music. I'm going to open us up. And I challenge you, all right? I challenge you. Pray for faith. Pray for someone in your family for faith. If you want to get up and you're going, this person's coming to mind, you go over there and you pray for them for faith. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we need you. We need you. I ask that you would restore hope and belief in our hearts. We would be open to you. 
And so now just come before the Lord on behalf of someone you know. Maybe it's even your children. Pray for them now. And then I'll close our time. Yet I urge you to pray for one another. Heavenly Father, revive faith in us again. You're not done working in our families. You're not done working on our hearts. You'll never be done working on our hearts. Keep us humble, open, believing, not cynical. not discouraged, not defeated. Lord, breathe life. We need you. Holy Spirit, breathe life into us. Thank you. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Believe. Believe that's the first word, exhortation he wants to bring to us. Believe again. He is not done. He is far from being done. Believe. This exhortation is to ask. To ask. Verses 22 to 23. Jesus says, have faith in God, believe again. And then he says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in what he says will come to pass It will be done for him. What a crazy promise. And then he says, therefore, in light of this, in light of that I move, that I'm powerful, 
that I'm living. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. Jesus first calls his disciples to believe and then he calls them to ask in prayer. Ask. You know, our, our prayer lives, our prayer lives reveal where our faith is at. Every time you pray, every time you pray, you affirm your faith in God. Lord Jesus, I look to you and I pray right now for, I want to say a name, but one of you guys are probably named that name and I, want, I don't want to point you out. So I'll, I pray for this person, right? And every time you lift that person up to the Lord, you are showing faith that God can do something, right? That's what prayer is. Prayer is an act of faith. And so your prayer life reveals, do I believe that God is real? Do I believe he listens to me? That's probably more, right? Yes, I believe he's real, but does he listen to me? Every time I'm praying, I'm affirming a personal God one who's living, active, in my life, and I'm expectant. He invites us to pray. And also what we pray about reveals what we think God is interested in. If we pray about traffic, good grades, if we pray about freedom from outbursts of anger, we pray for humility and reconciliation with the son or daughter or even within our marriage. Or if I pray for the homeless problems that are happening in this world, our prayers reveal again what we believe God is doing and what he can hear. And so if we don't pray, what does that reveal? I think it's a hard reality to face that if I don't, if I'm not praying, maybe it's because I don't believe. And that's a, it's something I think we need to ask ourselves. We need to look within ourselves and say, but I do believe and I think I do. And so where do I begin? Well, Craig Kakihara, he read from Matthew 18. And I think one thing Jesus is, he's again welcoming us to believe. He wants us to come to him. And so where do we begin? We begin where we're at. And so in the passage that Craig wrote, the disciples could not cast out the demon that tormented a boy. And so the father came to Jesus. And he says, can you, can you cast the demon out? And Jesus again, you unbelieving generation. Of course I can. He casts them out. And then later it says the disciples went to him and they asked him, why could we not cast it out? And in 17, Matthew 17, verse 20, he said to them, because of your little faith, your small faith. But then he encourages them in this way, right? He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, very tiny, itty bitty, Right? If you have faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, and again, he uses the same figure of speech. I think it's one that he used often in his teaching. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. 
begin where you're at to believe. Where is your faith? Begin there. God says, trust me. And I think, well, what do I ask for? Well, in Mark 24, I mean, verse 24, Mark 11, verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it and it will be yours. Bring to him whatever is on your heart. You know, again, if, if you come to the class and you start to read, you begin to, Paul Miller goes so much more into the Gospels and to Jesus' invitation for you to trust him. And so he's saying, come with where, as you are, what you believe, and begin to ask me. You might think, well, what if I'm asking something that God doesn't want? Well, that's a really good question. It's interesting, and it's one we'll talk about in the class, right? But I will say two things, all right? Well, I'll say one thing, okay? Until you begin to talk to God and ask him in prayer, start to pray to him, he's not gonna be able to answer you. Until you begin to ask and actually talk to God, he's not gonna be able to answer you if you don't. Sometimes I, I hear my daughters talking to my wife um, about an, a, an assignment they have from a teacher um, and they don't know really what the teacher wants. They're a little confused. You know, I, I don't know if they want this, blah, blah, and I can hear the dialogue going, and it happens, I mean, it's happened enough for me to, to think of this example, and my wife always says, what do you think she says? Ask the teacher, right? Ask the teacher. And then, yeah, 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 yeah. Text all their friends, you know, text everybody, you know, what, what, what no one knows. What, what, what do you need to do? Ask the teacher. Well, why? Because then they'll respond to you, right? And God is the same way. He's saying, ask me. Ask, start to pray. You might say, well, I've already done that. Well, come to the class and we'll talk about that. (laughs) Ask, right? Ask. First, believe that he welcomes you. He's moving, and then begin to ask him in prayer for things. Engage with him. Talk to him, right? God can respond to your confusion. He can respond to that. He can respond to your anger. He can respond um, to your little bit of faith. He can even respond to selfish requests. But he can't respond if you don't talk to him. You need to engage, and he will speak to you. The last exhortation, believe, ask, and the last one is forgive. Verses 20, uh, verse 25, Jesus says this, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. When I read this in March, again, I thought, that kind of seems out of context. I don't know. He's talking about believing, asking, and then he throws this in there. And whenever 
you stand praying whenever. So in other words, whenever you're praying, not only when you're standing, so when I'm sitting, I don't say, you know, I don't ask for, I don't, I don't forgive people, no. Back then, standing and praying to God was the posture. So he's saying, whenever you pray, whenever you pray, forgive, and it's a command. It's a command. I want you to forgive. In the ESV, he puts it at the very front, forgive, because that's the placement in the Greek, his emphasis. Whenever you pray, open your heart to forgiveness, forgiving people. If you have anything against anyone, he says that, anything against anyone. I want you, when you come before me in prayer, I want you to forgive. I want you to come with an open heart. Anything against anyone. All the way from your most intimate friendships and your wife or your, or your husband, son or daughter, all the way to the stranger and the person who cut you off at New Avenue when you're coming onto the 10 freeway. Anyone you're mad at, who's wronged you, who has somehow disregarded you, when you come before me, anything ever, I want you to forgive. Woo! Right? I think of two things when I think of this. Why, Lord, why? Well, number one, when we come before the Lord, we are resting, right, in his great forgiveness for us, his great love for us. We stand on his forgiveness and open heart and love and compassion for us. That is the ground in which we stand on when we're praying to him. And so to be before the Lord, full of gratitude and thankfulness, and at the same time, that idiot, right? I can't believe they did that again. It's completely contradictory. It's like two emotions and two uh, spirits within us that collide. And you know what we call that? We call that our life. Amen? That's what it's like. It's in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, his spirit is in us and our flesh is in us and they collide. And he says, don't settle for that. For when you settle for that, you become fake. And so we cannot hold both a gratitude for God's forgiveness for us and an unforgiveness for others. And so that's why he says that when we pray, Jesus says, deal with any grudges or animosity you have against anyone. And you know, we need to remember that we are all broken, weak, and sinful people. Everyone you're dealing with, everyone you're relating with, you know, it's like we're playing catch with our opposite hand with everyone in our lives, right? It's like, I'm a righty, so it's like left hand. We're, we're playing catch with people, come, relating with people, and it's like playing catch with someone using their opposite hand. Right? What, why are you throwing it over there? Right? Throw it to me, and it's frustrating. That is life. We're dealing with people who are going to hurt us, and we're going to hurt them. And so he says, forgive, forgive. 
But you know, the other reason why Jesus addresses forgiveness, and I found this to be so true, whenever we pray, because oftentimes, and sometimes most of the time, the main barrier to seeing God answer our prayers is us. This is what I've found to be true in my heart. If I'm praying for God to do big things in other people and in me, through other people and through me, and I'm confident that what I'm praying for is in line with the character and heart and purposes of Jesus, and I just know this is what he would want, this is what would honor him, then one of the first things he does is that he deals with me. Because I get in the way of his will. Unforgiveness, holding grudges, and resentment are all fueled by pride. And so he says, forgive anyone, anything. Work through that. Because the reason why you're holding a grudge is because of your pride. You have become more important than anything. And because of your offense, right, sometimes we fail to see and let God do what he's doing. So Jesus calls us to forgive, to overlook an offense, to lay down our rights so that his will can be done. Amen? Amen. I, I just know some of you are praying for big things. And one of the things that we need to start to do is when we're coming before the Lord is say, Lord, I want to see you do that even in spite of me. If I could somehow move that forward and I'm not a part of it or if somehow someone offends me or maybe replaces me, I still want to see that done because I'm looking for your glory. I'm looking for your will to be done in this person. And if I'm not a part of that or if somehow I'm offended, lay that aside. This is exactly what Jesus did. This is the heart of our Savior. He set aside all of his privileges, everything. He goes to the cross. He's humiliated, crucified, mocked. Why? For you and me, so that the will of God can happen the world can come to know him. We could come to know him. Amen? He has put his spirit in us, and that same spirit he wants just flowing from us. And so forgive. But you know what? We can't, we, we, we not, we, ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> We're not just to be called to forgive others, but also there's many in this room that you need to forgive yourself. You failed. You failed miserably, either as a friend, maybe a brother or sister, and probably one of the more painful ones, you failed as a parent. You've done some things you deeply regret. And God says, man, if you want things to move forward, in your relationships, you need to forgive yourself.
You need to receive the forgiveness I have for you. Done. You're forgiven. It's done. I love you. Believe, ask, and forgive. It's the word I believe the Lord wants us to hear this morning. And so let's just open up our hearts to receive that. And may we walk out of this place knowing that he is for us and against us and he's doing a great work. So let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to you now. We ask that your will would be done in our hearts in your way and in your time. We ask that you would fill us with faith. You would help us, Lord, even with a small bit of faith, to begin to believe that one, you love us, two, that you've forgiven us, that you're working. And Lord, last of all, we just want to lay down our egos, ourselves. We don't want to get in the way. Jesus, you say you've placed your spirit in us. And so I pray that those who feel hopeless now, you would fill them with hope that you are in them. And so the humility that seems so difficult is possible because you're in us. You will empower us. And so, Lord, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our lives to you, and may you have your way. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.